chapter 13 tonight. Exodus 13. Before we uh, get to the passage uh, there beginning in verse 17 of chapter 13, so here momentarily we'll begin in Exodus 13, uh, verse 17 and following, and we'll go on down, I think, even into chapter 14. I want to just start off with a, just a brief comment on verse 13 that verse that, uh, as I recall, just kind of comes out of uh, nowhere when the Lord uh, says, But every first offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. But if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Well, the word redeem is repeated there in that verse, I think at least three times. So this is redemption. This is a beautiful uh, picture, not only in that verse, but in the entire chapter of the Lord's redemptive work. And we have this Old Testament picture or type of what takes place in the life of those who are enslaved to sin and death and destruction and how the Lord reaches down and how he rescues us or how he brings about the proper ransom to get us out of that enslavement. So we see Egypt as a type of the world and Pharaoh as a type of evil and how he dominates the children of Israel. And he is forcing them to work and to work harder. And how he is hardened in his heart. But yet God has heard the cry of his people. And he is determined to get them out of Egypt. And he does. He gives them the, the way out. Which is the blood of the lamb. And we see in that lamb in Exodus, a lamb for every house, but as we go to the New Testament, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that ultimate lamb, Jesus, who shed his blood that we would be brought out of slavery and death and into abundant life. So before we leave verse 13, we'll, we will say this, that if, if God made a plan to rescue a donkey or for a donkey to be redeemed. Uh, what wouldn't he do for you and I? Yeah, he would, he would go to great lengths. In fact, he would send his only begotten to redeem us. So let there be no doubt about the fact that God uh, cares, that he has condescended in his son to reveal himself and then to make a way for us to be saved. It is baffling to me that 
uh, our minds can go from God loves me to God doesn't care about me or does God care about me when we see in Jesus the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate picture of that agape love, the love that God has uh, for us, loved us so much, John 3.16, that he would send his only begotten son into the world, not just to bring us a message, but to die on a cross and to be uh, really subject to, he was not subject to anything, but a kangaroo court, an injustice, the greatest injustice uh, that the world has ever seen, and uh, he died. In fact, when he was called on the carpet and asked questions, there were times he kept his mouth shut. Why would he do that? Well, he kept his mouth shut for you and me. He didn't try to argue his way out of it. Didn't try to defend himself. He could have. Could have called 10,000 angels to come to his rescue, but he did not. He just uh, went to the cross and suffered and died for us that we would have a way out. And that way out is as we trust him. And then when we trust him, that trust is manifested. Not It resonates in our heart and our appetite is for the word and for the presence of God and for the fellowship of the people. But then there are actions that accompany that trust, that faith. So let's get on, uh, move on here into verse 17. And this is the unfolding drama here of uh, God leading his people, rescuing his people. So let's, uh, we'll just read um, Let's see, let's, let's read all the way through 14, verse 9. Let's do that, and uh, so we'll start in 13, 17. Now, when Pharaoh had let the people go. Now, now listen, you know, I know that didn't happen just like that. Moses didn't, you know, Moses and Aaron didn't go up to Pharaoh and say, you know, you need to let the people go or God's going to send some plagues. Now, Pharaoh's back and forth. He is back and forth. He, he is the consummate person that mistakes God's mercy for uh, weakness. And so when God pulls back his plagues, his judgment, Pharaoh sees that as weakness. And you know, and I know what's happening to Pharaoh's heart. It'll be in tonight's text. His heart is hardened. We marvel at the plagues that God brought. You know, I'm, I keep thinking the Nile was turned to blood. But you know what's even more interesting than that, more marvelous than that? Herod, uh, not Herod, but Pharaoh's heart was turned to stone. Uh, How does that happen? I mean, 10 plagues, 10 opportunities for Pharaoh to, to, uh, to soften his heart, to believe God to, you know, he's seen the wonders of God, but to believe God, and he just, he never gets there. So Pharaoh had let the people go. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, 
and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Then they set out from Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pi-ha-haroth, between Migdol and the sea, you shall camp in front of Baal-zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they're wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Thus, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready and he took his people with him and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by, beside uh, Pi-ha-heroth in front of Baal-zephon. We'll read on. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Uh, Not necessarily the most spiritually astute group that uh, God is working with here. Um, We see throughout the word of God and particularly for our purposes here in Exodus we see the character of God we see him revealed in history the history of the Israelites and tonight we're going to have the opportunity uh, to apply that character of God that we see revealed in the pages of scripture to our own lives and make some connections that perhaps Heretofore, we have not made, and we should, because he's the same God. He's the same good and great God. So let's get on with it. Point number one, God's way, 
which there in verse 17, now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Look at that next statement. Even though it was near, even though that would have made perfect sense to a human being. But he says, says, for God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So the Lord's always a step ahead. He can see further down the road than you and I can see down the road. So the point is, God's way is always the best way, and it's for your highest good. I don't know about you, but uh, I've, I have uh, questioned uh, uh, the journey on a, on a, at least a couple times. I hope not a couple times a day. Why so long, God? You ever thought about that? Why so long, Lord? Listen, the Lord is beyond time. Uh, He really doesn't care, I don't think, a whole lot about time. I think he cares about the fruit of your life and your heart. And he knows what's best. And he doesn't mind time. He doesn't, let's just say it this way. He doesn't mind bringing you and me the long way around. You ever felt like you were going the long way around? It makes more sense, Lord, if we just take that direct route from here to glory. No, it's going to take longer because you and I are not as fit as we think we are. And I just want you and I to begin to think about the fact that the Lord knows best. He knows right where you are. Say, well, it's not, it doesn't look good. It looks like I've been here, there, everywhere. There's no direct path. Uh, Why did that happen? We don't know. Why did that happen over here? I don't know. Why didn't that work out over there? I don't know. But the bottom line is you're here. And you got breath in you. And I trust you are on the journey. You are following the Lord. You love Jesus. So look forward and praise him for where you are, because his way is the best way, and it is for your highest good. And that applies to us as as individual believers, and it applies to us collectively as a church. Never underestimate the ability of God to bring you the long way around for his purpose of sanctification to bring about Christ-likeness in you. I mean, we could spend, we could probably go around the room. I don't know anyone who would say I've been on the short path. You know, I was, the Lord was going to fast track me from salvation. And then in two weeks, I'm ready for, I'm ready for heaven. 
I'm ready to, I'm ready to charge hell in the, in the presence of God and, and with his, uh, with his uh, blessing. No, that's not the way it works. He'll take you the long way. So what, what verse in the New Testament can we connect that with? Well, the obvious one is Romans 8, 28, that God works out all things for our what? For our good. How many things? What things? All things for our good. All things. Well, what about that thing over there? It seemed kind of bad. Well, the only one that can work it for good is God. The only one who can take something that, from a human perspective, looks terrible and destructive, God can work it to his good. But it's for that, it's upon or it's through that person who loves God and is called according to his purpose. That person is looking for the hand of God in their life. That person is not giving up on the leading of God in their life. That person who is open and pursuing the will of God for their life. God is able to take those circumstances of life and turn them to his highest good. I could, I could cite time. I could probably use both hands. That, oh, I remember when I was that, I remember it by age. I correspond age with event and think, oh my, that would have been, that would have been the end. That was, that was, uh, that was nothing, uh, that was bad. Where are you going to, where are you going to wind up? God had a plan. He had a plan. I think I'll stop there because it could get real personal, but he had a plan. He will lead you. Sometimes just lean not on your own understanding. Just acknowledge him. He'll direct you. He'll take care of you. But that was bad back then. Yep, it was, but God will use it for your good and his glory. So we got to believe that. It's right here in the scriptures. So... That's, uh, that's the way this, uh, this message begins, which is almost one point where you could just, just uh, say the benediction and just you know, go to the house and think about that the rest of the night, how the Lord just works. And, and his way is the best way, and his way is for your highest good. No matter what you think about it, just continue to live by faith and follow him. Now, point number two, and it does fit hand in glove with the first one. Um, promises, I thought I had this point just right, and then I had to add three words. Promises are not fulfilled overnight. Or are they? Look at this. Did you catch your eye? Look at this. 19, verse 19, Moses. I mean, this. He writes it. This is in the scriptures. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. I mean, that's a guy with some foresight. I want, I want that kind of foresight before I die. Be careful what you do with my bones, my body. I'm looking for Jesus. Um, was this promise fulfilled overnight? No, but I think in the mind of Joseph, it was as good as done, and it is. God says it, 
It's as good as done. Those prophecies in the New Testament, and God will do this, and later on he'll do that, and ultimately it'll all be consummated there. Those are historical presents. It's like, uh, yeah, they're future, but with God's word, with God's pledge, his promise, it's as good as done. That's why we can thank him not only for the way he's worked in our lives in the past and and what he's doing in our lives here in the here and now, but we can really thank him for the future, for that glorified state of existence that he's promised uh, you and I. And then uh, moving on down here to point number three. Uh, the Lord leads us by his own presence. This is uh, verses 21 and 22. So um, the Lord was going before them. Now Moses makes a point to tell us this. These people aren't just, uh, they're not just released to go their own way. They're not just um, kind of escorted out of Egypt and then turned loose to live and to do as they please. The Lord, look at that, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And you see the, just the, uh, you read that, you're overwhelmed by the sense of God's favor, uh, by his grace that he exhibits toward us in the giving or the bestowing of his word into our lives and the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who resides in us is the presence of God in our lives. And the Lord never, he never uh, left them in that way. He's going before them. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and this is day and night, and this is as long as they were led in and through the wilderness. The Lord doesn't forsake his own. That's the point here. The Lord doesn't forsake his own. Yeah, it may be the long way around, But the Lord will be with you every step of the way. That's the point. He will be with you every step of the way. He'll be with you on your, on your best day. That day you get up and you, you have your quiet time and you read the word and it's all resonating. He'll be with you on the worst day when, you, you know, your alarm clock doesn't go off and you're awakened by a phone call and perhaps a phone call that doesn't really convey the best of news for your life and and you feel uh, like you are on the ragged edge, so to speak, the Lord's with you then as well. He doesn't forsake us. We flag, we fail, we stumble, just like these people we're reading about who walked aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years. God is with us. 
He will lead us. He will not leave us to our own devices. And his commitment, I, I find this really encouraging. His commitment to you is greater than your commitment to him. You got to believe that. I mean, we are, you know, I always hear people, well, I'm holding on to Jesus. Well, good. I'm glad. I hope he's holding, got a grip on you as well. Because that's really what matters. Yeah, when he lays hold of you, you lay hold of him. But he, he'll lay hold of you. And, um, and he'll, his presence is with you. Um, you know, sometimes we, we feel like, you know, wow, I, I don't know where, where, we're going, where are we going from here? This is, you know, maybe you feel like uh, you're at a low ebb. Well, the Lord's with you in that low ebb and just keep following him. Keep trusting him. Keep praying. Keep fellowshipping with his people. The Lord will lead and things change when he leads. Not overnight. Not overnight. But things eventually change as you grow in him. So the Lord leads by his own presence day and night, day and night. Point four, we're, and we're in 14.4 uh, for this. Um, the Lord, actually, it's two verses. There's uh, verse four in chapter 14, and then there's verse eight in chapter 14. So he says in verse four, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's an interesting work of the Lord. That's, I don't know that we think about that too often. And I think it say, says it pretty plainly in Exodus that there's times that it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And then there's times it says God hardened his heart. Same outcome. A hard heart is not a good thing before the Lord. It's good to be tender-hearted before the Lord. But here says, I will, that's the Lord saying this, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. So that's the outcome of Pharaoh's hardened heart, which in this case is by the hand of God and it's going to mean ill for the people of God because the Lord recognizes I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to chase them. And he says, I'll be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. So the Lord knew that he was going to work in that circumstance and demonstrate or display his glory. And, and notice the other outcome here. The Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. They're going to know this. Everyone is going to know that God is God, that Yahweh is Yahweh, that he is who he is. And they did so. And then down here in verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You did catch that. Now, these earthly rulers, I mean, what are they? I mean, what are they? They're earthly rulers. Uh, the Lord's in charge. Of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. 
So they're coming after them with this, uh, with everything they've got, with all their, all their horses and all these chariots and his horsemen, his army. And look at what it says there. And they overtook them camping by the sea. There they are. They're camping by the sea. And they're really kind of hemmed in. I mean, they're by the sea. And here comes Pharaoh and all these horses and chariots. And why? Because God, evidently, because God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There, verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after them. And certainly that, sure enough, that's what's taking place here in verse 9. They chased after them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army. And they overtook them, camping by the sea. And Pharaoh drew near. The sons of Israel looked. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Um, I just, you know, God works in, at so many levels, I think, in any given circumstance in our lives. I think there, there are multiple... Um, levels in which God is working. Here, we see that the Lord is guiding and leading the children of Israel. And at the same time, he's hardening the heart of the opposition. And the opposition is chasing uh, Israel down. They're chasing the children of Israel down. And I'm sure they want to either bring them back to Egypt so they can get back to work, or they want to kill them. And here it is, the Egyptians are marching after him, and they became very frightened. Very frightened. You know, the, the, uh, I think the point is well taken that the enemy, the enemy really doesn't take kindly um, to those who turn to Jesus receive Jesus and love Jesus and want to follow Jesus. And if you and I think that, that we're just going to follow some kind of a primrose path of Christian living and loving Jesus without approaching hoofbeats behind us, without the enemy in pursuit, I think we've got another thing coming. There's a real enemy. There is a devil. There's such a thing as a devil. There are demons. And they don't appreciate salvation through Jesus. And they will do whatever they can do within their own limitations to, if not keep you in their power, to frighten you. Uh, they're, not, they're not just going to let you go without kicking up a fuss. They're not. I'm just happy to say that greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. That as sure as the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, that Jesus has come that we would have life and have it more abundantly. And so there is, a, there is freedom in Christ. And there is the, the, 
the evidence of broken sin and the destruction of death and the deliverance from slavery to sin and the world and judgment. But the enemy, will keep, keep, he'll kick up a fuss. He will. He won't take it laying down. So while the Lord leads and guides his own, he hardens the opposition. I don't know that we recognize that so often, but if you want a reminder and you want a New Testament reference, go to Romans 1 and read it. He hardens the opposition. I mean, what is it? You tell me what it means. You preach a three-point sermon to me on he gave them over, he gave them over, he gave them over. I mean, what does that mean? That's not salvation. He gave them over to something else because they refused Jesus. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We see that in our world all the time. But that is the Lord, and that is, by the way, the Lord's prerogative to give them over. And he does that in his own time and by his own wisdom. And then I'd like to close on this real popular and um, very encouraging uh, point here from verses 13 and 14, and that is this. It seems to come up more and more, but it's, I mean, it's replete in the scriptures. Fear is the arch enemy of the faithful. I haven't counted, but in the New Testament, the times that Jesus says, fear not, or do not be afraid, something to that effect, plenty of times. Fear is is not a good thing in the life of a believer. Fear can paralyze you. Um, I've got a couple stories on fear. Um, when, when someone fears, um, they don't think clearly. I mean, if, you're, if your life, uh, if, if your life is in danger and that comes about all of a sudden, and there's fear, uh, it's very difficult to choose door, the right door, door number one, door number two, door number three, to get you in a safe place. Uh, it, it's hard to please God and help others if you're freaking out. That's a better way to say it. Um, and that's what we need to be concerned about is, is how, yeah, well, is fear contagious? Yeah, fear is contagious, but faith is contagious as well. And we need to be promoters of faith. Um, and, and, and when you're in that place of trust in God, even when the enemy's bearing down, the Lord's going to deliver. You know 
he's going to deliver. Why? How do you know that? Because he promised that. He wasn't going to let his people be overtaken there at the sea. The Lord was going to work. The Lord was going to help. So there in verses 13 and 14, and then we'll pray and be dismissed. But listen to these words and, and receive them into your heart. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow be too late. It's today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. There was that, they had come to that line of demarcation. They had come to that threshold And then he says this in verse 14, take this. I'm surprised more people don't have this for a life verse. By the way, I have a nice long list of life verses. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Don't freak out. Just stand And see the salvation of the Lord because the Lord is going to battle for you. And he's going to, uh, he's going to vanquish your enemy. And uh, he's going to lead you for 40 years in the wilderness. And better is a year in the wilderness than a hundred years back in Egypt where you came from. The Lord is that good. So he's got a plan. Okay, Leave tonight knowing he's got a plan for me. And that plan is being carried out day by day as I trust him and cooperate with that plan and his leading. I wouldn't... uh, I wouldn't do so much questioning of what happened yesterday or 20 years ago. Why? What if? Well, it's probably counterproductive at this point. What you need to do at this point is go forward in trust to the Lord. Lord, I don't know the situation I'm in. Maybe some of it is my own doing, but Lord, I'm trusting you. That's not a bad place to be. Just trust him. And he will fulfill his plan for you. And uh, I want you to be confident of that tonight as we dismiss. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and what an encouragement to our lives. We could take, uh, well, each one of us could probably fill up a legal pad uh, with notes from our own lives as concerning how you've led us and the times that we thought, well, this part is is done and where do we go from here and how's God going to do this and what are you going to do with me now Lord Um, and then Lord you bring us through you just bring us through and Lord I, I look around this auditorium and I know that you have brought so many through uh 
situations where the average person would look at and say, well, I guess that's the last chapter. But Lord, you keep leading. And it's all by your grace and mercy. So we acknowledge that. And we thank you for that. And we just uh, look toward the next step in you. Continue to preserve us. Continue to put within us a great appetite for your word and for fellowship with one another. And Lord, give us a good day on Sunday. Lord, I pray you just, uh, just pour out your spirit and your word on us and uh, lift us up. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.